So <laughs> at this time, most days of the retreat, we'll uh, have a Dharma talk. And uh, it's my privilege to uh, give the talk tonight. And I would like to talk about uh, what we're doing here, uh, go over the basics, and then look at this question of, you know, what's the point of doing this? And um, as a teacher, I see my job as teaching as clearly as possible. And so if at any point what I say is not clear, then I welcome a question. So feel free to interrupt me as a professor. I'm used to that, and I actually teach better that way. And if it's not quite relevant to, to what we're doing here, then I'll keep track of it, and we can talk about it later. Uh, and um, so we'll, we'll have this period, and then we'll have a break with a snack at 8.15, and then small groups after that. And then we'll come back for another sitting tonight. And so um, if you're not that interested in what I have to say, then you can at least look forward to the snack. And um, uh, I'll talk about three different, I'll approach this topic from three different angles. Um, the cultivation of concentration, working with difficult states, and um, question mark. <clears throat> so what we're doing in meditation is using our minds in a very odd way. Uh, we have a capacity to focus our attention and we use it all the time. And I invite you to set aside any assumptions or beliefs that you have developed about your own capacities to focus your attention, um, you can do it well enough. The fact that you're here, the fact that you made it to this room tonight means you can do it well enough to meditate. And uh, what we do in meditation is focus our attention first on something really simple and neutral. And we've been doing this all day. Uh, and we've been doing it in a number of different ways. We've focused on the ambient sounds. We focused on the feel of our bodies. We focused on the feel of the breath at the nose or in the chest or the abdomen. And in the last meditation that Sarah just led, we focused our attention on somebody in our life, a person or an animal who we like. And so we exercise this capacity to focus our attention and it is as simple as what, I, what you can do if I ask you to look at my hand right now. You may not want to. I don't really care that much. But you can do it, right? Uh, of all the places you could look, you can actually focus your visual attention here. So this capacity to focus our attention is something that we use in meditation. There are dozens and dozens of types of meditation, even in the Buddhist uh, traditions. Uh, there are many different approaches to meditation, but most of them, not all, but most of them begin by exercising this capacity to focus our attention. 
in some way or other. The reason that we do this is that by focusing the attention on something relatively simple and neutral uh, or somewhat pleasant, the mind cultivates its own calmness, clarity, stability of mind. I talked about this a a little bit last night. Uh, This is a remarkable fact about us human beings, that without controlling everything around us, without getting everything fixed first, we can actually cultivate some really important qualities of the mind and body. These qualities of calmness, clarity, stability, and so forth. This one reason we come on a retreat like this is to create conditions so that we have a chance to to cultivate these capacities. Uh, What we're asking ourselves to do is very odd given our normal habits. We're normally looking for what's stimulating, what needs to be paid attention to, what's unpleasant, what's pleasant. And to ask ourselves just to stay with the sensations of the breath we're going against a lot of our normal habits. And so when we come to a place like this where we've actually surrendered our cell phones, we've left our our normal homes, we're in a different situation, we've created some circumstances where it is more possible to actually experiment with what can happen when we try to do this. It is doable. As we try to do it, by doable I mean it's something normal human beings can do. It takes effort. Uh, As a teacher, another of my jobs is to convey confidence about this sort of thing. And I can do that only because I have done this sort of thing a lot. And I really can convey this confidence. If you're interested, if you want to, to try, then there's no doubt in my mind that with some practice you can know for sure what I'm talking about here. And many of you do, right? We can cultivate calmness. It's amazing, right? And um, it's not anything that we're pretending. It's not that we're sitting here pretending to be calm and trying to talk ourselves into it. The calmness I'm talking about is visceral, it's palpable, it's in our bodies, it's, it's, it's for real. Um, and part of our practice is getting used to it. Actually not rushing through those moments when we, we are calm. And so, um, again, that's another function of coming into a situation like this and practicing and spending a lot of time practicing in these relatively austere circumstances. As we try to do it, we'll encounter difficulties um, precisely because we're asking ourselves to do something which is, you know, unusual. And we have a lot of habits that will kick in. Um, Our normal habits will you know, pull our attention away. And so, as I mentioned this morning, 
when we're meditating, we try to stay with the breath. And then try as we might, there will be these moments when we realize that we're, we've been mulling over something. We've been daydreaming. We've been thinking about a friend back home. We've been thinking about a movie we want to see or whatever. Uh, uh, ruminating about a problem. Just the normal things of our minds. And it, can, it happens so fast. Our minds are so fast. Just moving quickly from one thing to another. So I'm staying with the breath one moment and then time goes by and I realize, wow, for some time I've just been daydreaming. Um, this is the nature of our minds. There's nothing wrong with this. We're highly evolved beings as human beings. Our brains are amazing. And there's certainly reasons why you know, we have developed these sorts of minds where we can move quickly from one thing to another to another. You know, we're on the lookout for things. Like part of being safe is just like worrying. Like, are there bears around here? No, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, but maybe we should check, right? Um, like, human beings are really good at, at, at kind of being on, on alert, moving quickly from one worry to another. Okay, no bears, but, you know, what about spiders? So when we meditate, our minds will move and move fast, and we'll find that we're mulling something over, we're drifting, right? And what we do in the meditation practice is include whatever it is as part of the meditation. It's not that we have failed. It's not that uh, something's gone wrong. It's just the nature of our minds to move quickly from one thing to another. And so the mind has moved, the attention has moved from the breath to whatever we're imagining or thinking about or, and so forth. And so we include it in the meditation in a very simple way. Just recognize what has pulled our attention. And one way to do that is just to use a quiet thought to label the sort of thing. Thinking, planning, worrying, daydreaming, fantasizing. Often there will be emotion fear, anxiety, excitement, joy, kind of accompanying the thoughts or the daydreams. And so if we notice that, we include it. And again, a, a, that kind of that quiet label can be helpful, just that, that whisper in the back of our minds, anxiety, fear, joy. And uh, we try to feel the reverberation in the body, the actual sensations in the body, often in the torso, with these emotions. So that's the way we include the emotions in our mindfulness practice. And uh, without trying to solve it, or fix it, or figure it out, or analyze, we include it just by being aware. Oh, this is what's happening for me now. When Matthew last night was talking about including all of us you know, here, you know, all of us being welcome and all parts of us, every aspect of us is welcome here. The idea is we, we can bring awareness 
to whatever it is. So there's no kind of qualification on what is it's okay to be aware of in mindfulness meditation. We may very well not like some of the things we're aware of. They're, they're can be, they can be difficult, and I'll talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. Uh, but the idea here is we include whatever it is, and then as part of our practice, we also practice coming back to that neutral home base that we're using, such as the breath or the feet or sounds or that image and the thought of the person or animal that we like, uh, that we just did. So I like the model of a pendulum where we focus the attention somewhere. We do try to do that. We naturally get pulled away. We include whatever it is as part of the meditation. We don't have to be in a hurry, but we also do practice then redirecting the attention back. And so this can happen a lot, right? And both both parts of it are important. It's not merely that when we're, our mind's distracted or racing and we're aware, wow, my mind's racing <coughs> from one thing to another. It's not like that's a second best sort of meditation. If we're aware that's happening, that's, that's meditation. And then we can exercise the capacity, even in the midst of a racing mind, it's weird how we can do this. We still can have that capacity to remember, oh yeah, where's my breath? And then come back. And then cultivate these qualities of clarity, calmness, steadiness, flexibility, resilience. But we don't have to be in a hurry. We don't have to, like, oh, I got to rush back. Okay, we do have that intention to come back. And so, we do come back and then we get pulled away again. We include whatever it is and so forth. Yeah. And if there are those moments of confusion, like, oh man, what's going on? Okay, just notice that and find the breath again. And so in this practice of connecting with the breath or the feet, um, we're doing something that works to cultivate calmness, clarity. Uh, you don't have to believe me. Just try it for yourself and see. Uh, and we're also exercising this capacity we have to direct our attention in a certain way. Uh, and that's an important practice. Uh, as we try to do this, we'll, we'll bump into difficulties. It's, it's easy to do in one sense. Um, it's not superhuman effort. We have to make effort, but it's something we can do. And, and kind of being aware of the breath during a particular moment is pretty much as easy as being aware of my hand visually. You just direct your gaze there and you see it. If, your eyes are normal and so forth. Um, connecting with the breath is not anything esoteric or uh, something we have to create a lot of effort to, no, we just direct the attention 
And so some of you, especially if you're new, you actually might have been trying a little harder today than you need to. It's just the normal breath, just whatever sensations are there. We don't have to try to make up some special sensations or try to make anything happen. It's just directing the attention to something really normal. Uh, and then keeping that in mind as much as we can. Likewise, in the kindness practice, uh, you may have found that you could bring to mind uh, your friend or your uh, dog or whoever you used. Uh, and you could do that a little bit and then your mind drifted, right? It's normal. And so uh, the way we practice is just gently come back. Uh, some of the difficulties that we do encounter, though, when we try to do this for an extended period of time um, are worth mentioning, just so that you know they're normal and we'll have time over this week to talk about them in more detail. Uh, but uh, sleepiness is something that's really normal. Uh, even when we've had enough sleep, you know, there can be times where it's almost like the mind is, uh, well, look, if you're not gonna give me anything more interesting to do, than just sit here and observe my breath, that I'm going to sleep, <laughs> right? And so this sort of dullness descends on us, and uh, this heaviness, kind of drowsiness. And this isn't necessarily bad. There, there are obviously great qualities of, of sleepiness and sleep. Uh, the mind is stable in sleep, but it's not clear, right? So in, in kind of this cultivation of calmness and concentration, we want both the stability and the clarity, right? Uh, but still, some of you may uh, find that meditation is helpful with sleeping, you know, helping you get to sleep or, or helping you in the middle of the night when you wake up and your mind's racing. These things we are doing here can be really helpful. And um, so it, uh, in those situations, you know, you might do some meditation and if you drift off to sleep, great, right? That's, one, that's good. Uh, yeah. Oh, I have a yes. I was like this morning, or like like midday, when we were meditating. I I got so drowsy. I felt like I was actually gonna fall over on like either sideways yeah. or forward. Yeah. How do you like wake yourself up? Yeah. So the question was, um, it, you know, how, what do we do when we really we're meditating? And we're so drowsy. It feels like we're gonna fall over. Um, a couple of things that are very practical. We can uh, open our eyes. If your eyes were closed, just opening your eyes can help you be a little more stimulated, even while trying to keep trying to meditate. And then uh, this is, can be a great time to shift your posture to standing up. And so, uh, you know, if you're sitting and you get kind of drowsy, then just shifting to standing can be a very excellent move to make. And it can be so hard to do. Like you're sitting there, you're drowsy, you're about to fall, and you're just like, oh, right, he said I could stand up. I know, but that would be so hard. You know, oh. That's how you do it. I dare you to do it this week in one of those moments and see how hard it is. I dare you. Um, and, but when we're, then when we are standing, 
it's like it's kind of an energetic posture, right? We're work, the body is working a little more, and that helps us um, be more alert. And even letting your body move a little bit side to side can, can be helpful too. And so it, it, you're, you're definitely welcome to stand at any time. And that can be a really skillful way to deal with sleepiness. And then another thing to do is try just a little bit harder to connect precisely with the breath. So ratchet up the effort just a little bit. And that, again, can be really hard to do when we're kind of in that dull, drowsy, you know. But if you can remember, just try to muster some effort, a little more effort, just to cut through that drowsiness to connect with the next breath, when, right when it begins. And that can help dispel. I've practiced with this a lot um, on long retreats, uh, in, um, just for fun, just seeing what it would be like to push the edge here. And uh, doing standing, walking, meditation, uh, late at night, it's sort of past time to go to bed, but why not try it some more? I'm on retreat, nothing else is happening. You know, and, um, and then sitting, and just really being tired, and just seeing what would happen if I ratcheted up the effort a little bit more. Not aggressively, but just subtly, just trying a little harder. Where exactly does the in-breath begin? And finding there were times where the mind would suddenly be fresh and awake, right? For a little bit and then get drowsy again. Yeah? Just um, a note on the meditating to fall asleep thing. <clears throat> yeah. Um, a little warning. I have done that for a very long time and now that I'm doing it during the day, I realize that I... I've conditioned myself to fall asleep when I meditate. Oh, uh-huh. so now whenever yeah. I meditate, I get really tired. Yeah. So conditioning is a powerful thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> thank you, August. Um, yeah. Um, we don't have to do all this just right, you know. So um, first, first of all, um, you really can use these methods to fall asleep. But um, we kind of experiment to see how that might work. And, um, um, and then, yeah, we do also, even if your motivation is to sleep better, which sometimes that's why people are interested in meditation, uh, then we also want to practice at other times when we're not trying to fall asleep um, so that we're actually cultivating the qualities of alertness. And so what you're saying is you've used it to go to sleep. So then that's, but that's probably not a terribly strong conditioning. And, and so it's just something to work with. Yeah. Um, but it's kind of interesting how many of us wake up in the middle of the night and our minds are racing and there's a lot of anxiety <coughs> often. And uh, this is an opportunity to find our own way of practicing mindfulness in a way that can be helpful. And I'll talk about that more in a minute. Another difficulty <clears throat> uh, is kind of the opposite of sleepiness, where our minds are racing and we're really restless. And certainly many of us in here today would have experienced this. And uh, um, it, it can feel like, you know, if we just keep, if we sit 
anymore we're going to explode. You know, we're just like, so, and, and don't be deceived, by the way, by how quiet we've been. This is a strong retreat already, for sure. And, uh, and so the room has been pretty quiet and, and so forth. Don't assume that everybody else is just sitting there all kind of calm and everything. No, no. Everybody is really sleepy or restless or agitated or angry. And sometimes some moments of calmness, right? And so with restlessness, agitation, um, we notice it, we're aware of it, we might label it. Um, This is a good time to expand the, the awareness to sounds. Just open your attention to the ambient sounds. Just give the mind more space. So we're still practicing, uh, but our focus is spread out and spacious. And then if you start feeling a little spacey, then coming back into the body, back to the breath. But that's something that we can do when we feel really restless, or we might let the, the, use the entire body as our home base, uh, just to have a little more room. And then in staying with the breath, we can actually loosen the effort that we're making. So make a little less effort. So still try to stay with the breath, but not try quite so hard. So with sleepiness, we ratchet it up. With restlessness, we kind of ratchet it down. So we keep trying, but so it's just maybe knowing, yeah, there's an in-breath happening now. Yeah, there's an out-breath, right, without trying to be so precise. Uh, So those are two of the big, very practical difficulties that we can encounter when we try to meditate. So we'll come back to some more of these throughout the week. Um, So this process of cultivating concentration, calmness, is um, doable. It takes effort. It takes time. But it's something that um, I have no doubt you can do if you're interested. And here's where having some teachers who have more experience, the staff, you know, just being around people who've meditated can be helpful because we can fine-tune the uh, methods for ourselves. So you may have noticed that in practicing with the breath, uh, we didn't say where exactly to observe the breath. We gave you choices, the abdomen, the chest, the opening of the nostrils. And that's important, I feel, because, you know, we, uh, how many of you observed the breath in the abdomen? When, you, when, when that idea comes up. You look around. Some hands are up. How many of you tended to observe the breath today in the chest? Yeah, some hands are up. How many tended to observe the breath today at the opening of the nostrils? Some hands are up. So we kind of just used our own intuition. We don't have to get this exactly right. Uh, and uh, this is an example of how we fine-tune our own practice. We use our own intuition, our own judgment. Uh, and we also can talk with others about it. And where I am certain that you can develop these qualities of calmness by meditating is, over time, finding a way that works for you. So for some of you, it may be standing and walking meditation may be the best way, or it may be the, the metta, the kindness practice that Sarah led, which is also awesome for cultivating calmness. Uh, and so we can approach this, we can find our own way here.
So I'll shift now to talking about using meditation to work with difficult states. Um, by difficult states, I have in mind pain, physical pain, and emotions that are hard. One of, one of the profound insights from the Buddha is that it's part of being human to suffer. It's not that something's wrong with me and unusual about me when I suffer. It's part of being human. And so... Physical pain leads to suffering. There are a lot of emotions that we're all familiar with that involve suffering. We could have anybody, any human being in the world, if they came to visit us, they would not be an exception. And so... Uh, one of, kind of the, the real brief story of the Buddha is that, you know, he's born in India 2,500 some years ago. At that time, there were lots of forms of meditation. Most of them oriented around, it's my understanding, that most of them were oriented around concentration, what we've been talking about so far. You know, cultivating calmness in really profound ways, which is possible to do. And the Buddha the traditional story of the Buddha, perhaps a myth, but the story is that he was really good at these when he practiced them. He came to see what it's like to cultivate profound calmness, the bliss, the beauty of calmness, doing the sort of meditation that we've been talking about, that focusing on the breath or some other neutral home base. And that even in the midst of these really refined, beautiful states, he was aware of suffering. And so his, his innovation, as I understand it, was to um, seek a way to actually find freedom from the suffering that comes even with pleasure, even with the pleasure of these really refined, concentrated states. And... Um, the core of his method was to bring awareness to what's actually happening as it happens. And this is mindfulness. Uh, bringing attention to what's actually happening without trying to cultivate other states. And this is the heart of some of the most practical applications of, of mindfulness as it makes its way into mainstream Western medicine and society generally. And so, for example, in working with physical pain, and some of you may live with pain, uh, it's very common. You know, like 30% of Americans, according to one study, live with pain. And, it, you know, the way we do it is just an application of the type of meditation we're doing here. So if my right shoulder is in pain, then what I do is focus my attention somewhere else, such as my breath, or my feet, or sounds, the sort of thing we've been doing. Try to keep the attention there, cultivating calmness. And then pain being what it is, it will come to mind. 
All the better if it doesn't, but it probably will come to mind. So if my right shoulder is injured or for some reason tends to be pain, in pain, what we do in those moments when, it, when the pain comes to mind is simply bring attention to it. Just gently, maybe just for a few seconds, but just tune in a little bit to the actual sensations, twisting, burning, aching. And no obligation to stay there, but just tune into it a little bit and then shifting the attention back to the neutral home base of the breath or the feet. So it's just that idea of the pendulum is one way to think about it. Focusing the attention somewhere else. When the pain comes to mind, including it. Maybe even using a, a, a whisper, pain or disliking. And then shifting the attention back. Uh-huh. And um, the promise here is not that it's going to make the pain disappear. But where there's a lot of experience and now even some science is that it helps us manage this difficult state better. And so one way of thinking about it is the pain may persist, but we can suffer less by using our own minds in this way. And again, this is something, there's no reason to believe me uh, without, you know, for those of you living with pain, it's something you can experiment with and it's maybe even something this week that if you experiment with, we can give you some feedback on it. Uh, uh, likewise, with, with difficult emotions, like anxiety or fear, sorrow, anger, the method is the same. Uh, we tune into the reality of it. We don't pretend we actually, and this is another awesome feature of a meditation retreat or having a meditation practice in daily life where we give ourselves some time just to tune into what's real. And so, you, you know, I would be sure that probably someone in the room, you know, throughout most of the day, there was some emotion that was kind of the main thing you were aware of, not asking for hands or anything, but you know, some memory and then some sorrow or fear or terror, something really hard. And it may be, it was so hard that even staying in the room was was an amazing amount of effort. Just kind of, it it can feel that way sometimes in the midst of of, uh, these states that are normal and human. Uh, and so what we do with mindfulness practice with these emotions is similar to physical pain we do practice directing the attention somewhere else and very interestingly that is a capacity we seem to retain even in the midst of really difficult moments just that if we can remember to do it you know it takes practice this is, we're practicing it, but if we can remember to do it, then even in the midst of a really difficult moment, okay, where are my hands? Where's my feet? Where's the breath? And just tuning into something real, something different, 
than the, than the emotion. But we will get drawn back into the emotion and we don't fight that, we include it. The raw feel of it. And often there is stuff happening in the body to be aware of, right? So with anger, you know, kind of this fiery sensation in the heart or with sorrow, just the kind of this heaviness of heart. There, you know, these words refer to something that's actually happening uh, in us. And so we can tune into that. It's not, you know, there obviously will be thoughts too. There will be stories, there will be memories, there will be, you know, fears, you know, thoughts about the future uh, that's part of a fear or anxiety. Um, so we can be aware of those thoughts, but it's actually really helpful to tune into the feel of the body with these emotions. Uh, and it takes practice to do that for most of us. Uh, it, it takes practice to remember, okay, I'm really freaked out right now. Oh, yeah, where's my body? Because right? we, we do tend to get pulled from one thought to another to another really fast and uh, so forth. Uh, but this is where we practice. This is where we practice. And um, the promise here is not, as I understand it, that um, we can find a way to live a human life uh, without suffering of the forms that come with difficult emotions. So feeling grief, feeling sorrow, feeling anger. My view, this is my opinion, is that they're part of being human, no matter how much we develop our minds and hearts. But the promise, as I understand it, is that we can develop a relationship to these states so that we're not compounding the suffering, the normal suffering of sorrow or fear or grief. And this is where we get some sort of freedom. And it's not make-believe. It's uh, weird. It's uh, doable. And it's something we can explore for ourselves. And so this is a really practical sort of freedom. And we can do it. So this idea of practicing to include all the parts of ourselves is, you know, like... It can be so, even after 30 years of doing this pretty seriously, it still can surprise me. Like the way in which simply bringing awareness to what is happening, just noticing that I don't like it, and maybe labeling it disliking, the way that it can shift to not struggling, not fighting it. And so my mood might be the same. I still might be angry but there's a freedom even with that. Does that make sense? We don't have to try to figure it out every way. Any questions about any of those points?
we just have a couple minutes. Um, the third part of my talk uh, is a question mark. Uh, so my theme was, what's the point? First part was, we can do- develop concentration, calmness. That's priceless information for human beings. The second part, we can cultivate ways of dealing with difficulties, difficult states like physical pain, difficult emotions. You can find some freedom in that. And the third part is, I don't know why you're doing it. Really. I don't even know if you should be. As a professor, I often have students in my office. They hear about my, I do, uh, UCLA, I do a mindfulness course for credit, by the way, in the summers. Psychiatry 175, mindfulness practice in theory. Matthew will be there. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) next summer, summer session A. I have students in my office like, well, I heard about your course. Do you think I should take it? And there's something about me that's kind of free here where I love teaching it. I love doing what we're doing here. I just love it. I have so much confidence that it's good for me and it can be good for others along the lines we've been talking about. But I really do not assume other people should do it. Honestly. And so even in like a situation like the one we're in where, I mean, we are a serious bunch. This is an awesome retreat so far and it's going to continue that way. Um, And so I know, I mean, there's no doubt just from what's been happening that, that we're in the right place. And yet there's still like this question mark about you, each of you, like why you're doing it. Why are you doing it? So we kind of touched on that a little bit last night. You know, what brought you here? And we came here for different reasons. But I regard this question as something that can be alive and that should be alive and that we're, we're not accepting someone else's answers. And so part of, for me, the point is this ongoing question, why am I doing this? What am I looking for? And being really open to seeing what happens next without, you know, I kind of have a practice now uh, for 30 years where I know some things that will probably happen, like the process of calming down, becoming more concentrated, you know, working with, if I'm really angry about something, I know that if I meditate, there will be a softening, my heart will open even sort of weirdly, but even if I'm still kind of energetic. And then there's still this like, yeah, but what else? Yeah. So uh, thank you for your attention. Uh, let's, let's meditate for a minute before we go. Don't, don't just stay where you are.
So thank you. Uh, so it's time for a break, a snack, uh, and then we go to small groups. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.